This is Football CFB, the home of unique football content. I never told you You scared off the vultures I never told you You scared off the ghosts living in my head That lay lonely in the dirt That Absolutely delighted to be joined on Football CFB this evening by a coach who I have a lot of admiration for. Um, the, the, the man I'm speaking to tonight worked at Manchester United for over two decades. His father is a very famous person in the history of Manchester United, as we'll discuss as well. He's now the FA's national coach developer, which is a role that I'm interested to get a real first-hand insight into, especially when you consider <laughs> the development of so many young coaches over the last decade or so. Paul McGuinness, thank you so much for joining me. Great, Callum. Really, uh, really good to, to be here tonight yeah, and have a chat. The first question I've got for you, very simplistic. Your role, uh, the title, sorry, of your role is National Coach Developer at the Football Association. What does that role look like on a daily basis and what does it involve? Um, well, yeah, when I, when I first came, it was about three years ago now, um, it wasn't tightly sort of defined what I would be doing. We were, we were saying, well, bring your experiences from Man United um, all those years and sort of uh, the experience of working with some really top people with high standards and then see where we, where we can sort of use that experience and fit in. And of course, you, you're fitting into something that's completely different. Um, you know, you're going from one organisation where you've been there for 20 odd years, working with a lot of people who had been there for a long time, but who were also, say, ex-players at Man United and so on. So it, it was going from an environment where you knew everything inside out to then a totally new environment that's not just one club, but looking after, trying to look after the whole game. Um, so that's very complex. You know, working at the FA and, and the job the FA has to do is a really complex job. Lots of different sides to it. And um, so it's, it takes time to, to get used to that. But hopefully I've been able to sort of pass on some of my experience. Um, the actual job now is developed into sort of a couple of parts, two or three parts, really. I work in a group which are the senior coach developers. And they're looking to develop um, managers, young managers in the game. Uh, might be player to coach, international players to coach, likes of, you know, Rooney, Ashley Cole, uh, people like that uh, would be on the radar for that. But then um, also any young aspiring coaches and, uh, and uh, players maybe who want to be managers. So I've got a part of that role. My real, I think, sort of expertise and interest, though, is in long-term player development. So I'm um, helping on the A-licence, the advanced youth course, and helping to design those courses and do CPD um, around the clubs. Um, and then also, I'm in a group that's looking at all the courses and how we can get a thread right through and join them all together so that they work in a cumulative and progressive way. Um, and, and we're really moving towards saying very much at the beginning, it should be um, maybe going back to real skill development individual development, small group development towards then teams. Um, so that's the, the sort of thread of things I'm doing. There's also the, the thought of maybe I'll, I'll get the chance to work with 
some really talented sort of high potential uh, coaches and maybe mentor some of them as well, yeah. And in terms of the development of, of young coaches in recent years, before I talk about the, the high-profile former players that have went on to, to be coaches that I'll come to, I want to get your perspective on guys like Danny Cowley, Michael Duff, Eddie Howe, all young, um, progressive English coaches who are either in jobs at the moment or have been in jobs very recently where they've all been able to, to do a good job. In your role as a national coach developer, are those guys the sort of uh, men that you, you you look up to in a sense that they've been there, they've done it, and that's what you want to inspire coaches to, to come through and go on to do? Well, I think all of them, they would be of the, the sort of opinion that they've not been there, not done it yet. They're obviously on the part of the journey, but I would say they've all got high ambitions to go further. You know, Eddie Howe's done an unbelievable job um, at, at Bournemouth, but I don't think he'd be satisfied now. You know, he's a really still a young guy. He started very young, and he's a great example of what you can do. Um, you know, if you if you really um, get into to the right club, obviously it helped him there that he was in a club he knew, and you know he built him up from nothing, didn't he? He did an unbelievable job. But I think that should give him the platform now. You hope then that he can get onto more jobs and and really, um, you know, get a chance at a bigger club as well. Um, the Cowley, the Cowley brothers, you know, they they've built their way up from a teaching background, haven't they? Non-league and so on. But you can see how they've developed themselves. You know, we heard them in the summer; they were on a podcast and, and talking um, about their their um, the way they work, their methodology, and you can see how organised they are. Um, you know, and, and you have to be nowadays. You know, you, you you have to be to to get all the way up there. And Michael Duffy, yeah, he's had experience abroad now. He's having, you know, he's had experience with under Sean Dyche, um, you know, and, and everybody's got a different journey. But I think all of them, I think you would say, yeah, the FA and, and, and all the people, the Premier League and all the people are trying to help and, 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 guide, and, and sort of guide them or give them um, a stimulus on courses. But they're really developing themselves by going there and doing it. You've got to get out there and do it, make the mistakes and build your way up. And, and those guys are doing it, you know. As well as guys like that, you, you mentioned um, names such as Ashley Cole and Wayne Rooney earlier, and, and those are elite footballers who, from a, an English perspective and even from a wider football perspective, you, you want to see in the game coaching um, and go on to, to be elite coaches as well. You think of Steven Gerrard, Frank Lampard, they've had um, real experience <coughs> in recent years managing big clubs in England and in Scotland. Is, is, is one of your main aims to try and get guys of their ilk to stay within the game rather than go on to be pundits because punditry is a great thing and it educates us a lot but I always think of someone like Jamie Carragher Paul and think I wish he went on to be a coach because he's so passionate about the game yeah I mean you've really got to want to do it you know that's that's the big thing so it's not so much the FA or anybody's really they're not going to be pushing um, Lampard or Gerard, they, they're doing it from their own love of the game and I think that that drive to still want to be competitive they still you know if they went out of football now they'd miss that they'd miss the, the drug of their the, the games the competition all the time you, you know they 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 thrive on that and um, you know I think that's that's what drives them as well um, you know and on your right we do we want as many not just you know, elite players, you know, that have been at the top level, but uh, enough professional players 
um, to go through the A license, the senior pros uh, uh, A license is on and running at the moment. Lots of uh, guys going through that and football at every level. Um, we want to make sure that we, I say we need to rescue that, that craft knowledge. We can't let it just go to waste. Um, it's vital that it's in the game at some level. Um, and, you know, it's rare now that you get, um, you know, sort of someone who's a top player or, or, or someone who's, who's been an experienced player in academies. You know, they, they, we need more um, coaches who've played the game in academies passing on that experience. Um, and certainly then you look at the top players, you want that Lampard, Gerrard, you know, the experience that they've got, you want that them to be successful and stay in the game. Um, and, I, and I think of Lampard and you see his, his cousin Jamie, you know, who's gone the op, op, other route, you know, but both of them sort of like myself. And I was on the phone today, actually, to two, two guys who've been managers, coaches uh, for a long time, who's, who also their fathers had been players and coaches. So that was um, Gary Bowyer, whose uh, daddy Ian was at Forest and, um, you know, lived a football life all that time. And um, Paul Hart, who's at Luton now, you know, he's done an unbelievable job both in youth development and, and, in, um, and in management and coaching. And his dad, um, Johnny Hart, was a manager, you know, at Man City. So I know growing up as a footballer's son and, or a coach's son, going into the ground, going in your holidays, you get immersed in it. Uh, and those guys, I think, you know, Lampard, you'll say, oh, he's inexperienced. Of course he is to have an ex a job like like Chelsea and so on, but you forget that both his dad and his uncle have been managers all that time. They've just lived that life. They've been sat in change rooms as kids or in the car with their dad or been to games and watched games with them. They know, you know, they know the game. And of course, you've got to learn from your own mistakes with the management and so on, but they are just football through and through. They, they know it, they, they feel it, they smell it. Um, so certainly I hope that Frank Lampard's you know, back to the right club pretty soon, you know. In terms of yourself, to, to rewind back to the very start, you, you're the son of, of Wilf McGuinness, who is, is, is someone who is in Manchester United folklore. You think of the Busby Babes, you think of everything that, that, that the club have achieved and, and your father played played a, a big role <coughs> in that. What was it like for you growing up in that environment? Because you mentioned the likes of Frank Lampard, where football was always ingrained in, in, in him. Was was football in Manchester United in particular always ingrained in you? Yeah, it, it was just, of course, you know, I mean, some people, you know, so there's some guys who, whose dads are footballers, you take no interest in it and so on. But I did. From about the age of four, I remember kicking a ball in the garden with him and, and he bent it, he bent the ball. And I said to him, well, how did you do that? And he said, well, if you, if you move it to the side and you run at it at an angle and then you, you hit the outside of the ball and you can spin it. And that was me then from four years of age, sort of captivated with the ball and what it could do and forever playing with him. And um, you, you, you're just immersed in it. And he was, well, my dad's maybe, even, I don't know, even more than some people, the spirit of football just sort of comes through him, both in terms of the competitive element, knowledge of the game, but then also the fun side of it. Um, so he was forever doing tricks. We'd go in the field near us and we'd practice and he'd be chipping. You've got an England international knocking the ball in for you for headers, diving headers, overhead kicks, volleys. And he always was trying to do something different and he had different tricks. He had a trick he could do that um, he got from when they played Real Madrid, a guy called Hento, 
was the winger at Real Madrid. He must have seen him practicing. And this, this was a bit like Higuita, where he, he flies forward. But this one, he does a handstand. So you'd hit the ball at his head, you know, from about 25 yards away, right at his head. And he'd dive forward and do a scissor kick and back heel it back over. And he could do it into the goal. So he used to do that when he was the physio at Berry. He used to go on the pitch before the game and stay in the crowds with, with all that sort of thing. So, yeah, growing up with him was, was both the serious side of football and, and the fun side. And I would go with him to games uh, from 10 years of age. I would be going scouting games with him. So he'd go wherever. I remember one of the first ones was up at Newcastle, Newcastle Reserves versus Villa. And he said to me, who's the best player on the pitch? And so I had to study all the players. And I suppose this is where you start to get, even then at 10, you're starting to get an idea of, of the players. And I had to explain to him, you know, who the best player was. And it was easy that day because it was a blonde-haired lad. He was 17. He was coming off and turning with the outside of his foot, Gary Shaw, who ended up playing for Aston Villa. But that would happen regularly. You know, we'd go and he'd be talking about the game and he would um, he'd say things that sounded crazy at the time. He'd go, oh, they're, they're all over them at the moment, all over them in attack, he said, but they're going to concede a goal in a minute. And he'd seen that they were committing too many players forward and then there'd be a goal or he'd say, oh, the number six, he's going to get, he's going to get, uh, he's going to get booked in a minute. He would. And I'd go, well, how do you know that? So all the time you were learning how to see things, see the game. Um, and then you'd be going into the training ground, training with the apprentices when you were 12. So you were 12, they were 16. 14, you were training with the reserves. 16, you're training with the first team, wherever he was, you know. So he'd be at Berry or Hull or, or York. Or... So you were just immersed in it all. Um, and yeah, I mean, it, later it led to me uh, going to United. I stayed at school, so I was did A-levels and they had me playing for them part-time. And then after that, they offered me a, a, a contract for a couple of years. Yeah. In terms of going to Manchester United as a player, I know you worked with this man who I'm about to mention as a coach as well. But I'm interested to get your insight into what it was like working with Eric Harrison from, from a player's yeah. perspective, because if you watch documentaries and you read interviews with coaches that worked at Manchester United and players who have developed at Manchester United, so many people mention Eric Harrison and how vital he was in their careers. Yeah, Eric, Eric was tough, um, but straight with you. And um, he made things very clear. It was incredibly clear what you had to do. And some of that was by, not fear, but you, you, you knew if you hadn't got it right. Um, so, I mean, the one, well, well, he was great in, in lots of ways. Before I signed, I was, I was going training two nights a week. I was playing at the weekend and it got to May and I'm ready to leave school. And I thought, I wonder if I'll get a chance, you know, will he give me a contract or not? And, then, and uh, it, was, it was a red-hot day in May. Oh, there was no grass on the pitch at the, at the cliff. It's like a big dirt, diamond, dust everywhere. And we played, he had us playing six aside, full length of the pitch with no goalkeepers. So you, you had to score, and you had to score by being in the six-yard box, which basically meant you've got to do a hell of a lot of running to score and stay with your man and do all these things. So someone burst through from the halfway line. And my, my dad had always said, you know, you, you never give in. You, you've just got to chase all the... So I chased him all the way back. I did a slide tackle. And I remember really clearly this. It's like the, the emotion of it and thinking... And he stopped the game and he went, that is what we need. And I thought, geez, he's got, I'm signed. He's got to sign, <laughs> you know? <laughs> but that's how much it meant to me because... But it, it was like the attitude 
he was trying to get. And he would highlight things like that. But he would also highlight if he didn't do it right. So one of the big things he did, and you, the class of 92, all of them did that. I did it years before them. Everybody did it. It was a routine. He called it the ball routine. But basically, it was for awareness scanning. So there might be 16 of you before training, you know, start the training, four balls. And you would have to, uh, if you wanted to pass off someone, you would have to look over your shoulder to check behind you. Then you'd have to signal quickly with a quick dart for the ball where you wanted it. They would play, have to play a really accurate, but what we call a, leaving the pass playable so that you can, you can do what you want with it. You can let it run, you can play it first time. But because they've left it playable and the weight of it is right, it means you can have another look as the ball's on its way. So you're having two or three looks at least before you get that ball, and that's giving you the awareness of where it is. And then you do a different turn. It might be inside and outside the foot, inside, and so on. And um, and then later you do games. So he might do, say, silent football so that you do the same things and he could observe whether you were looking or not. And, you, you know, it wasn't, it wasn't a case of, oh, you had to shout man on. No, you had, to, you had to know. And if you didn't know, you got caught. And I think one time Dion Dublin joined in. Uh, he was the first team player, joined in with the youth team. He'd been injured and he, he, he got dispossessed. And he shouted at one of the lads, you, you know, should have told me man on. And Eric said, no, no, Dion, you have to know yourself. There's 76,000 there, you got to look. So you've got to check behind you. And that, that was one of the key things he did. I remember him doing it at a coaching course, actually, at Manchester University, a load of coaches there. And he did the same ball routine. He then did a game and it lasted about 45 minutes. And at the end, um, he asked for questions. And he nearly killed the guy who asked the first question because <laughs> he said, uh, when are you going to do your coaching, Eric? Now, it was as if he liked coaching to that guy was you had to stop it all the time and be telling them stuff. But he put in the condition, you'd got to look over your shoulder and his coaching was observation, maybe a quick shout or so on. But pretty much that's how he used to get us doing it. But woe betide you if you didn't do it. If you got caught not looking, if you got caught in possession, you used to sit up in the, in the office for the games at the cliff, so, which is great because nobody's shouting at you, just free to play. But if you didn't, if you did something wrong like that, he would bang on the window and everybody in our team would look up and the whole team in the middle of the match would look up at that window just to check it wasn't them he was, he was pointing at. And if he, if he wasn't there, God, you were shitting yourself in case he came down. <laughs> and and then, then you were thinking, I hope it's not me, whatever it is. And if he, if he points to you and it was like, don't get caught in possession, have a look. And when people say, you know, Yo, you can't shout at people. You can't. He was making it very clear. And I, I use the analogy, he was making it very clear. Like you would do with your kids. As soon as your kids can cross the road, are old enough to cross the road, you take them by the hand and you say to them, look both ways. It's dangerous. Stop. And, and that's what he was doing. You've got to look before that ball comes. Because if not, it's the same as if you don't look when you cross the road. You could be dead in football. So, you know, it, it was a life lesson I learned there. And a lot of us did that, you know, if you, if you get it, so it's automatic, that's going to help you for all your career. And that's what he did, Eric. He pretty much, he, he taught you the things that would, you would need for a, a, a league career. Now, if you had the talent to be a top player, well, that, that was up to you, you know, but he taught you what you needed to be a footballer. Um, there's no doubt about that. Yeah. 
How do you reflect upon your playing career having had a couple of spells at Manchester United, played for, for other clubs as well, um, and your career before you go into coaching? Was, was, was playing the game something that helped drive that route into coaching for you also? Say that again, sorry. I just missed the start of what you said. So, but how do you reflect on your, your playing career overall based on working with Eric at a young age? You had a couple of spells yeah. at United. You played for some other, yeah. other clubs as well. Yeah. Was playing the game something that helped drive that, that route into coaching for you ultimately too? Um, you, just, you just wanted to be a player when you're growing up. But also because my dad was a coach and he told me stories about Jimmy Murphy, who was the youth coach at Man United, um, and the other point was my mum was always saying, look, your dad broke his leg, so you're going to need something else. So I had it in my mind. I wanted to be a PE teacher. And when I was, I was at a great school in York called Nunthorpe, you played rugby, football, cricket, tennis, volleyball, everything. And the, the PE teacher there was a guy called Pete Bibby. He was brilliant. He did all the sports, but he used to take maths. And when he came into maths, he had on his Great Britain Olympic blazer because he was the volleyball coach for Great Britain. And I used to look at him and think, wow, you know, he looks, I, I want to be, if I'm not going to be a footballer, I want to be a coach. I want to be like this guy and like my dad and like, um, like Jimmy Murphy. And I suppose really I was studying coaching from about 10 years of age because I was just there immersed in it. You go to the, your dad, if you went to the ground with your dad, that means he's going early. So he's going, he's in by eight, eight thirty, what have you. So you're there earlier in your school holidays, 12, 13, 14. Now everybody else comes in an hour and a bit later. So you're, you get changed, you know, you give you some kit and then they have you doing some jobs or you're hanging about a lot, but you're seeing what the coach is doing. Then I might help him pack the kit later. And then you're in the coach's room listening to the coaches. And they, because you're there all the time, they just open, they say everything. So I heard all the things the managers talked about and everything. I would go to matches and be stood with my dad and he'd be talking to top managers at half time. And I'm just, I'm just listening, listening to it all. So you, you, you just, you're just immersed in it, you know? I mean, one of those occasions I remember really clearly, it was at Stockport County on a Friday night. I'd be about 14. And then um, my dad was talking to a guy called Peter Doherty, who was a Manchester City and Northern Ireland legend, Doncaster manager, the Northern Ireland manager in 1958 World Cup. He, he, he was known, he, he was a superstar in the 40s and 50s. Now, I didn't know that at the time, didn't know who he was. But he said to me, he was really kind. He spoke to me. You know, he saw I wasn't in the conversation. He said, oh, do you, do you want to be a player, son? And I said, oh, yeah, I really want to be a player. And he said, I'll give you one bit of advice. He said, never kick a ball aimlessly. Now, already at that time, I was practising religiously against the wall, everything, really with my dad, whatever. But it really struck me how simple but obvious that is. But then you do see people just lash balls into goals and it just goes over the bar. Or they, they don't particularly aim for a spot. You know, and if you read all the top players, I read, I read, uh, I read a lot of the biographies, but I, I read the one by, um, we know all about Bergkamp and all that. He's talking about hitting against the wall and the spin. But then Ian Wright, he said, well, over time, I started to say, oh, I'm not just hitting the side netting. I'm hitting four squares in the net. I'm picking them out. And then after that, I'm going to hit, the inside of the post and in and then just so I can know I can do it I'm going to hit the post so it comes out so he's he's challenging himself to get better and better but it's all about accuracy and efficiency 
And to be fair, that's one of the things I noticed when I first went watching some of the co coaching courses at, uh, with the FA is, is that that isn't instilled, ingrained in some of the coaches. Maybe, well, I was a bit, I was a bit lucky. I had a daddy who was ingrained in it right from the start, but then you had Eric Harrison ingrained in it. So it depends who you've been in touch with. But it's the job of the coaches, those coaches, to ingrain that, to make sure that there's a pride in the pass, so that it's, every pass is perfect, the perfect way in front of the guy, just right. And, and if they get it wrong, it shouldn't be the coach that's having to go at them. It should be them internally going, that wasn't right. You know, it becomes the best players, all that becomes part of their identity. I mean, probably the best example I've seen of that is Eric Cantona, who everything he did was almost to perfection in terms of control, the, the way he would lay the ball off. And he would lay the ball off to the wing just so that Dennis Irwin, say, didn't have to break stride. He could put it in first time. You know, the, the absolute care and attention to detail. So that, that really was a big thing, you know, being amongst those sort of people that had those sort of standards. And, of course, you go to later on, you go with Man United and Sir Alex and the standard's so high. Um, and like I say, you, I tell you, he picked up on it with something I said, uh, John McDermott, who's now you know, the head of the head technical director at the, the FA. And it is your, your, your standards are your stamp, your identity. You know, your standards of play, your standards of, uh, of what behavior and all that. But so I think that's, that's difficult for, um, there's what, 92 clubs, they've all got academies, but not many of them, of most of the coaches have maybe not been through a playing career and, and seen, seen been close to those standards. So that's where it's important that the FA or, or the Premier League or, or particularly that they, the coaches there listen to, to, see, to coaches, senior coaches or, or coaches have been players as well. But also that they study very carefully. What's the detail? How, you know, what are they doing? What do the top players do? It's vital that they they really see the standard. Yeah. In terms of coaching, you've talked about the importance of accuracy. Um, there's another quote that I like that that, that you've said before um, that was vital to your work at Manchester United in the academy. I always tried to point things in the direction of individual tactics and skills. I focused on the way players dragged the ball, disguised their intentions, and I tried to push that even today. How important, in your opinion, therefore, is unpredictability in footballers, especially at that elite level, when you're working with Manchester United prospects? Yeah, the, the further up you go, see, what, what, we do, what we sometimes forget is we have to... It's really a game for really crafty players, conning players... And if you're not careful, everything can be too obvious. From the, you know, if the coach is always telling the player what to do, how can he actually perceive on the play, or, or what, the, what the player sees on the pitch? The player sees that. Now, the, the higher up in the levels you go, the more the other players read what you're going to do. They can read it. So I remember playing for the reserves at United and then training with the first team. And, it, and played, we played a little game. and. Um, Gary Pallister intercepted me three times in a row. He had great big long legs and everything, but he was a higher level than I was used to, you know, so he was intercepting. So then what you have to do, and, and Jim Ryan was brilliant in this United, is then you have to disguise. So you, you have to make it look like you're doing one thing 
and do another. And Jim used to call say that the secret to that is small late movements. So it's got to look exactly like one pass. And then at the last second, you turn your foot and you play it inside the fullback, say. So you see people like Thiago, he's brilliant at that, playing for, for but all the, all the top players have that. You know, Fernandez does it for United and well, a lot of the top players. Disguise is happening all the time, whether it's a feint before you receive the ball or, 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 or on a pass. So I say to the coaches on the, on the course, they say, well, you know, you, you've got your players, they're all doing, they're getting the fundamentals, they're getting good at passing and so on and receiving. But if you add disguise, small, late movements, as the ball comes and you look like you're going to pass it off first time, if at the last second you do the same movement but then let it run, well, you just doubled your toolbox, you know? And if then, you know, you make it look as though you're going to pass, you make it look as though you're going to pass but then faint and take it to the side, you've, you know, you've, you've got two extra options. And the same with the pass. If you make it look like you're passing it to the winger's feet, but at the last second, millisecond, you reverse it inside the fullback, then you've got disguise. So, yeah, I, I think that's a, it's a big thing to improve. I've, I've been at the, the FA three years and, and I, I've not seen many people do it or talk about it, you know, on the um, you know, many coaches. So I think it's something that, that we should be really pointing their attention to. In terms of Manchester United as a whole, you were there for, for such a long period of time. You worked with Sir Alex Ferguson, Jim Ryan, Eric Harrison, Tony Whelan, Rennie Mullenstein, and so many other top coaches as well. What did you learn from the individuals within Manchester United? Because it's always important when you go to a club of that stature, as a player or a coach, that you learn from everyone around you. Yeah, and I think that, that's a good thing for young coaches to think about. I mean, I was lucky, obviously, the people that surround, surround me, but I, I was... They gave me a job when I was very young, coaching the Centre of Excellence, head of the Centre of Excellence. I was about 27, 28. And you would go in the coach's room and, it, you know, you were all mixed in together. The manager's office was just next door, so he would come in uh, as well. You had Brian Kidd, Nobby Styles, Jim Ryan, Eric Harrison, uh, Pop Robson, all been sort of top players and everything. So what I used to do, and this was before I got that job actually as well, I, I, I had to be at Old Trafford and then back there. So I used to go every morning, go to Old Trafford and make sure I come back for my lunch and make sure I sat there as well. And so, so I made sure I was in that room. I hardly said anything to anyone other than like, do you want me to get a tea in <laughs> or something like that? Because there wasn't much point in me speaking because I couldn't add as much to the conversation really. You know, well, all that wealth of experience there uh, listening to it, asking questions was phenomenal. And um, if you get the chance to be in the company of that, those type of people, and I, I was just fortunate, I was in the manager's office for, for we, when we were taking kids in to see him before games. The, two o'clock before games, I would show somebody around with the family that we were trying to sign a kid or something. Two o'clock on a first team match, we'd be in his office at Old Trafford and he's chatting to them and having a joke and a laugh. And then he'd say, you know, what well, we really want you to come, but you'll have to sacrifice, you'll have to work, you'll have to, but you'll get the best of everything here. We'll give you the coaching and we'll, we'll, try, we'll do our best to give you a league career. And, and, and if it works well, you'll be in the first team, you know. And the parents were like, and then he'd go, at half two, he'd go, oh, I better go now. I've got to go and give my team talk. Now, he'd actually given his team talk already, but 
when he left, the parents were like, wow, I can't believe that. He spent half an hour with us. And it was that was the start of what you need is the players to believe in you. If they know that you believe in them, you've got a chance, then they'll do anything for you. And that's the way he started the connection with the family. Um, so there was a lot of belief. And he had a connection with all the staff. He was brilliant. And then the small little things he did, the manager, you know, Jim Ryan said after soon after he'd started as reserve team coach, he had to have a small operation. And he only told his assistant that he didn't tell anybody else. And he said when he woke up in the hospital uh, at 7 o'clock, there was a manager sat there. So, you, you know, he was doing things like that all the time. And that, everybody would have some sort of little story. So when someone does that uh, and puts that much faith in you, like you give me a job at 27, 28, I'd done hardly any coaching. Like, I wasn't going to let him down. You know, I was going to work so hard. And I think if you do that with young people, and I think he's done it consistently, he's given people a chance. And, you know, they'll give you everything if you do that, you know. In terms yeah. of Sir Alex and, and, and his passion for giving people a chance, what, what, what was he like to work with when you are in charge of the Centre of Excellence? Because as football <clears throat> has grown, a lot of people say at clubs clubs that, that are challenging for titles maybe don't have the, the time to, to focus on their academy or the managers are too busy. But everyone you speak to about Sir Alex always tells you he took a very keen interest in all the younger players and all the younger age groups in the reserve team. Is that something when you're in charge of a centre of excellence that is invaluable? Oh, all the success came from his interest, from him being directly involved. He's an amazing man. You know, he's, his energy levels, but also his, his ability to remember things. He's, he, in some ways, just genius, the, the things he, he, he's done. But, I mean... See, the, if, if we had kids come on trial, and in the old days you could come from all over Great Britain, Northern Ireland, everything, the, the, the scouts would come. It was my job to, um, to organise the week when they came. Now, I had to organise the games, trial games, in the afternoon so the manager could watch because he wanted to watch the first team train in the morning and then he'd come there. Now, not, not many other managers likely to do that, 14, 15-year-olds. Uh, and I had to organise the training and the whole, the whole lot. And he would then, the scouts, he would sit with the scouts and say, well, okay, go on, tell us what you think. So he's asking for their opinion. He's valuing their opinion. And then he'd say, well, okay, you know, Johnny, number 70, you know, he's not done that well this time, but you know, you know him better than us. You know, do you want to bring him back? And he would let them bring him back if he hadn't done so well. And, and then what he did, he used to, we used to go to a hotel afterwards uh, at the end of the week. All the players would be there. The manager would be there, the assistant manager, reserve team manager, the chief scout, all the scouts, and uh, we'd have a meal. And then in the end, there'd be a sing song. The Irish would have to sing Danny Boy. Then it would be, then it would be the Yorkshire lads singing Ugly Born by Sat. Then it would be the Scottish lads. You know? And it, before you look, I, I was like gobsmacked the first time I went, you know, and I'm thinking, wow, they're already, he's already connecting them to the club. He's already getting a feeling. It was amazing. Now, of course, Listen, some managers do really take a good interest and so on. And you, but you can certainly understand why not. I think, uh, is it today, Paul Tisdale, three months he's lasted. Then you've got, you've got other people going so quick that they, they really think, well, I've not got time for this. But the fact is, I think, in the ideal, you know, in the ideal sense, you want everybody rooting for you. And, and I think because they knew what a job he was doing with the youth at United, 
that was one of the contributory factors that he got longer when they weren't when they really weren't doing well at the start you know and i suppose nowadays nobody would last as long um with the start he had um but the fact is i think if you can bring your own players through they they will have a big allegiance to you and they'll have a feeling for you and you can mold them to how you want to play and and everything so that's vital you know but yeah they would keep people jim ryan uh, yeah, eric was very obviously instrumental but jim ryan was the next step in the reserves and he while eric had give you all the fundamentals the basics uh, uh, jim had the sophistication some extra bits the disguise the timing the a lot of other things. So they were a perfect foil one after the other. And Jim's massive influence on me was the director of youth. He also went out and scouted a lot of the top players, PK, um, uh, Pogba, um, Rossi. Giuseppe Rossi was a fantastic player, you know, uh, lots of really good players. And Jim then was sort of the, the mentor over the academy coaching for a number of years as well. So he, he was absolutely vital, helped, helped me enormously, taught me lots of things. And in terms of developing that talent and, and ensuring that the talent is progressing in the right manner towards the first team, if you look back at the FA Cup youth winning side of 2011, of which you were the coach, you've got so many of that group currently playing in the Premier League. You think of Sam Johnston at West Bromwich Albion, Michael Keane at Everton, Jesse Lingard at West Ham on loan from Manchester United, Paul Pogba, of course, who is at United now, but has had the top career in Italy during his during his time in the game so far as well. How special were that group and what were they like to work with as well? Yeah, they were obviously they were very good, you know, and physically they were a good, a strong team at that time, you know, which in the youth cup can you know, can make a difference as well. But by the end of the season, when you when you step by step each time you play in a big ground, you get a win. I think we won one nil away at West Ham. Right, that gets you going. Then you get another ground and you get to and another ground. And I think we was it a quarter final? We, we went to Anfield and won. You know, we, we won with uh, both teams had nine men or something, didn't they? Or something, ten men. I forget now exactly. But, you know, Tonicliffe was brilliant that day. Um, Rafael Morrison scored, you know, got us back into it. Um, yeah, they're great experiences growing up together. 35,000 at Bramall Lane. That was the highest uh, crowd all season for them. You know, the first team and, and what have you. And then a big crowd coming back. So, yeah, they, 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 when you get a youth cup run like that, they, they grow in front of your eyes. They turn it into young pros and men. So, yeah, it, it, it's fantastic the youth cup for doing that. Um, we could do with a, with more competition because you, you can easily because it's a cup competition and you're young. You can you can easily get knocked out. We need actually more tournaments with crowds. <laughs> we need the first team with crowds at the moment, don't we? But <laughs> to be fair, when they get going again, back again, we I would say we should be working together better between all the clubs to maybe have little tournaments or, or, or round robins or to share it out one, one, you know, in the Northwest, one year's at Everton, one year's at Liverpool, one year's at City, one year at wherever, United, so that there's a tournament and they try to get crowds in. You might say, oh, I can't get crowds in for kids' games. But I remember when I was growing up, it used to be every year 90,000 at Wembley for the schoolboy international under-15s. They played Brazil, they played Germany, they played Scotland. 90,000, they got all the school kids there. I think we need to make more of an effort because playing in front of crowds, it's like, that's like anything. It's like a pop group growing up. You know, I saw a great, great documentary on Destiny's Child. They were, they were all girls together, just at home, home movie, dancing around when they were kids. Next one, 
they were in the school, you know, just the school hall. Next one, they're in the town hall. It's getting bigger each time until they're bigger and bigger. And they're live on TV. Now, that's, that's what the Youth Cup brings you, but only if you get further on. All the other clubs are not getting that. So all the players need to play in front of a crowd more often and on their home crowd. Some people are making their debut in the Premier League and they've never played on the, their own ground. That's very true, and that's something that, that that has to be changed, I agree. I want to ask you about an individual in particular before I talk about some of the other players who were in that team. And the, the individual in question is, is Ravel Morrison, an incredible talent. Sir Alex Ferguson has, has went on record, as you know, and, and said he was just so, like, like something he'd never seen before, which is high praise indeed. Do you think he's unfortunate not to have the career that many expected of him? I know he's opened up about having <clears> some challenges <throat> mentally as well. Yeah, I think people, lots of people just see, see from the outside and say, oh, that's, you know, that's um, a situation, that's um, a lost talent and all this sort of stuff. But they, people don't really know the full story. They don't know the difficulties he had growing up and, and um, the challenges he had. Um, I would say he's, he's done he's done amazing with the, some of the challenges he's had. You know, sometimes that's people just don't realise um, what he's had to go through as well. So, yeah, he's he's a player I probably learned more from than anybody else with the talent he had watching him and, and trying to um, and find the best way to work with him. He's um, a, a real talent, and I just hope he can carry on playing football and get you know to a good level and enjoy it and enjoy his life as much as he can because um, you know he had some difficulties that not many people recover from, and um, you know he, he's you know he's he's making his way and has had some great experiences along the way too. You know, he absolutely has. I remember the goal he scored for for West Ham against Tottenham that was was absolutely spectacular and. And the reason I wanted to ask you about Ravel in particular is because you, you mentioned Ryan Tunnicliffe earlier and, and, and other players as well. One of the things that Sir Alex Ferguson always took pride in was, and, and you've alluded to it during the interview so far as well, even if you don't go on to play for the Manchester United first team, we take pride in a club of producing players that can go on and have careers in the football league. How important was that for you when you were the head of the Centre of Excellence to, mm. to say to players, you might not go on and play for the Manchester United first team, that's an incredibly hard thing to do, but we will do all that we can to give you a career, even if it's in the, the, the EFL League 2 or, or League 1? Yeah, whenever you turn on the TV, there's somebody somewhere, you know, playing that you think, oh, there he is, there's one of our lads. And, um, you know, from all sorts, you know, Chester, Shawcross, Norwood, you know, Josh King, um, Robbie Brady, uh, Johnny Evans, you know, loads of players all over, all over the country who I think have done a really good job wherever they are. And we would take pride in that. And we always used to get that. If they went on loan, people would say, we can tell they're a Man United player, the way they train, the way they go on. And, um, and I think that's really important. That's the stamp you, you give it. And in lots of ways, you know, probably what people, you know, they, they just see a player going here or there, but they don't know the value added. They don't know how they started and where they ended up. So one of the ones I'm most proud of is, well, one, one of them is, is Danny Welbeck. He was all the way through every age group because I was a Centre of Excellence director when he was eight. I ended up coaching him every age group. Then I was the under-18 coach and he moved up to the under-18s and so on every every age. He'd be one. It's clear he's been a bit unlucky with injury, but 
you know, he's, he's had a, fa a fantastic career. Um, but one of the most pleasing is a lad who, who came and lots of skills when he was young, 9, 10, 11, whatever it was, but never grew. So he, he was always behind. It got so extreme that, he, you know, he, he, he was probably 14, he was probably 15, 16, and was more like a 12-year-old. And each year we kept him, we, we were careful with him, we kept him coming, we kept encouraging him, we kept um, playing him down. Then we said, well, what will we do? We took him this far, let's give him a chance to come in. Probably part-time, I think, with the under-18s. And he played some games, not many, Cade carried on. We, we worked with him, we encouraged him. Then we said, well, and we were lucky because we could do this. Brian McClare was brilliant at this, looking after the player, the person. Well, he's come all this way. We might as well. He's not going to sign for us. He's not going to be a first-team player for us, probably. But let's give him the best chance. So we took him with the reserves. Didn't really play much and so on. And um, his name's Ollie Rathbone. He's player of the year for Rochdale. You know? So all that time, people don't see that. You know, they don't see what's going on behind the scenes. And people encourage him like that. And he's a really skillful player. Um you know, he's fantastic. And I, we, I always used to say to him, well, Jim Ryan had a thing, because he couldn't, he wasn't so big, we said, well, you have to shoot from distance and get some goals that way. So we had him practising from 12 yards, touch out your feet with your left, bang, out your feet with your right. Then from 18 yards, 24 yards, 30. And we said to him, this is the way you do it. Run at it really hard and then hit it and all your body goes into it. And you need to get both feet off the floor like Bobby Charlton. So we showed him some films of Bobby Charlton. Both feet off the floor. So about a year ago, I got a WhatsApp message. It's a picture of him, midair, both feet off the floor. And he said, uh, both feet off the floor like Bobby Charlton. He scored a screamer from 35 yards for, for Rochdale. So those are the, the bits nobody really, they don't notice that. They don't know all those sort of things. But they are very rewarding for a coach, you know, years later, yeah. That, that's the stories that I love to hear because it's important that when players, as I say, can't go on to play for the Manchester United first team because it is such a hard thing to do that they can go and have careers and, and stories like that are, is what coaching is all about. You worked at Manchester United for well over two decades. Um, how do you reflect on your time at the club over the piece? Because when you look back, back at it, you were there in and around the club for the most successful time in their history. Um, yeah, uh, and you you know that's you, you know it's almost like a fairy tale that when it's all going, but it was just the complete mix of the right people at the right time, the manager obviously, and then it, it'd be, it just snowballed, got bigger and bigger, and and um, you had the right people, but you were never allowed to get carried away. You know, you never you you were always you know you had to get to the next. I mean, the manager he was fantastic. And he was supportive, but he was so demanding as well. I mean, we had one Christmas do when I first started. It was, and it wasn't a lot of us. Only there wasn't a big staff then, so it's the manager, the the physios, the the, the kit man, and, and and all of us, the the, the coaches. And um, someone got on and, and had told him that some under tens had gone over to Liverpool on trial from Manchester. And basically, that was my job. I was in charge of the scouting in Manchester, and and there so now this big sort of row, row erupted on our Christmas do and he stormed off he stormed out the Christmas do about these 10 year olds so that's me like 
imagine the pressure on you there. I'm only about 28, 29. And it's like, but that's, that's how demanding it was. You know, so you, you, there's no resting on your laurels. You, it, it was great, but it was, it was demanding all the time. Um, but everybody that, that were there were working full out and were top class and helping each other. Um, it was amazing. But I mean, some year, there was one year, there was one year they won the first team league, the second team league, the third team league, the fourth team. <laughs> you wouldn't have believed. You know, in what, and then you know a lot of the players came through, and that I think if you do have that going, it was it must have been intimidating for the other teams because they're like, holy hell, every age group at that point was was flying. That 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 again is is what that period of time in the club really really was. I mean, it was successful at all levels. There was pride from under tens, as you've said, right through to the first team. The last two questions I've got for you, Paul, and thank you in advance for being so generous with your time. What advice would you give to young players listening based on your experience of working with elite academy prospects over a substantial period of time? Um, you, you, have to, you have to put everything into it. You know, you have to put your whole life into it. But at the same time, I say that probably I was too much like that. Um, you know, I suppose you do need a a release everybody's different but you you have to develop your skills you have to develop your game and um as a player you know you've you, you you've got to be learning all the time you you've 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 got to be watching learning taking on board um practicing you know you have you have to do that um but you also have to be strong enough to do your own thing you know, to, to know what you're good at. This is what I'm good at, so I'm going to get really good at that. I'm good at beating people and crossing it. I'm good at stopping people. And, you know, you've got to know, you've got to know what you're good at and, and, and really do that. Um, as I, I don't know, I could generalise now, but I, I think people need to be more positive in their play in the sense of you've got to make something happen. You've got to, you know, play the ball. I don't see enough through balls. I don't see enough strikers running through. I I'd like to see more of that, you know, uh, positive uh, dribbling and whatever it is, yeah. But be good at what you're good at, I suppose, from a player's point of view, yeah. To, to finish off, as, uh, as we started, you are the, the FA's national coach developer. You, you've discussed what that role looks like, what it feels like on a daily basis. So what advice would you give to young coaches who are hoping to, to one day maybe be a first-team coach in first-team football or be a manager in their own right? Um, yeah, well, well, the first thing we maybe didn't, I didn't mention before is a little bit more about the work I've been doing. Um, and this is as a result of um, seeing the way football's gone in the last uh, few years. So you've had all, you've got Guardiola, you've had Klopp, you've had... Um, Mourinho, you've had all, everybody into the tactics now. The tactical side of the game has has really expanded now in England, hasn't it? You know, there's a, a lot of tactics going on, which means, of course, you need to be good at that as a coach, a young coach. Um, but what I was finding is everybody's got into that. You can see it on the internet. You can do this and that. But um, when it comes to it, you've got that structure. But how does the individual play inside that structure? And I think we've maybe on the courses as well, um, gone for that team element when I think knowing the individual, really knowing how to coach an individual 
and what I call individual tactics is vital. So that's something I've done. I've done like an observational tool and a bit of a model for really zooming in. We're calling it, put it under the microscope. It's, on, it's online. It's a lot of the stuff there is some of the, from the A license uh, is on YouTube, FA YouTube learning, and it's under the microscope. So it might be finishing the attack or creating the attack or whatever. And basically it's a, it's a case of zooming in and, and looking under the microscope. What's the common, common uh, interactions? you might get between a defender and a, and a forward. So it might be a blindside run or opening up or, or the particular move. So you recognize those, but then it's also then looking very closely at their movement from head down all the way down the body to the feet. So you're looking for scanning. So you're scanning for the space. You can't scan for your opponent. What's their body language like? Are they looking? Are they looking away at the ball? And you can go while they're looking. Are you looking for your teammates? So it's the scanning. And then it's the use of all the body and so on. And so we, we've done that to try and get coaches to really zoom in and look at what the top players do and what their individual tactics are. Do they come short to go long? You know, um, do they drift off their man? How, does they, how do they mark them? What's their footwork like? You know, what's their body orientation like? There's a great thing this week. Uh, saw it on, on Twitter. Rio Ferdinand was, um, was talking to John Stones and he was saying how, how Guardiola had got them all so tight as a unit and able to press high. But one of the reasons they could press high is because their body position at the back is side on. And that means that if at any moment they know they can go for the one behind because that's a risk. If they were square on, they couldn't do it. So it's all these little details is, is that's one of the main things that I would say, that's one of the, if you're looking for coaching and I'm looking at all the coaches, I'm a coach of the coaches say, you're looking, yeah, there's lots of things you can look at, but that looks like one at the moment that has maybe been a bit of a gap that people haven't looked closely at. Uh, and while you might coach the team, if you can't spot what the individual or the pairs or the three back fours doing, then, you know, you, you, you really need to be able to do that. So that would be one thing. And then what Jim Ryan always used to say, um, I think is a good one, is... For coach, well, and two more things for coaches is, is coach what you like. Because if you like it, if you love something, if you love wingers, coach wingers. If you love, you know, um, combination play, coach combination play. If you love defending, you know, with two banks of four and getting it really good, you coach it really well. Because if you like it and, and you re it's really what you believe in, then you're going to put your, you're going to be authentic with the players. They're going to feel the emotion of what you like. You know, so in that sense, don't just copy somebody else's. You have to really coach what you like and what you think a defender should do or an attacker or so on. So I've got a bugbear at the moment. I think a lot of people, when they're defending one-twos, they follow the ball. If you follow the ball, you've missed a step where you could be following your man. So we're going to look at that with, with our group, with the FA defending. It's not always the case. You know, it depends. But in lots of cases... You know, you should be following your man. You shouldn't be chasing the ball. Um, and then the last, the last sort of thing really is, is that one I mentioned before about Oli um, Rathbone, is that a lot of young coaches can see success as, as getting further up the age groups, of winning the league, of getting the chance of this job or that job. But success for a coach really is, at the end of the day, when you're finished and, and you've been doing it for years, What's your added value? 
how much did you help that player get to their potential? You know, so you, you can get that cup. You know, we won the youth cup, which is great. It was an ambition, but that's not as important as Ollie Rathbone playing in the league now or some kid, somebody ringing me up and saying, oh, can I have a bit of advice? Or you meet them, someone you've not met, a player, you meet them sometimes out in the street and it's, I met Matty, Matty James last week, pushing the pram with, or carrying his, his youngster. And he's now playing at Coventry and, he, and he's a smashing lad. You know, that's the bit when you've still got that connection because what players really respect from you, and they don't have to like you that much, but they really respect if they helped you, if you help them add value to their game or to them as a person. Because that's another thing. It's a great job, youth coaching. You, you've got the power, if you, if you do things right, to help them as a person as well. Wow. I have to say, Paul, it's been an absolute education uh, for myself and, and thank you so much for your time and discussing your experiences both at club level and now uh, from a National Football Association level. Thank you so much. Good. No, I really enjoyed it. Thanks, Callum. So we'll dive down to the ocean And we'll make our home in a deep sea cave And our shells will all be open They'll be filled with song, they'll be filled with song We'll dive down to the ocean And we'll make our home in a deep sea cave And our shells will all be open They'll be filled with song, they'll be filled with song